So as we start this morning, I want to start off by playing a little game uh, with you, um, one of my favorite games that will lead us into our, our sermon. Um, this game's called Would You Rather? Uh, so I'm going to ask some Would You Rather questions, and uh, you'll, you'll answer one way or the other, okay? Would you rather drink a Coke or a Pepsi? So the Coke people, raise your hand. All right, now the Pepsi people. There we go. All right. Next, would you rather eat a hot dog or a hamburger? So, hot dog people, two of you, <laughs> hamburger, amen. All right, next, would you rather watch a football game or a baseball game? All right, football, baseball, all right, all right. Um, next, would you rather visit the mountains or the beach? Mountains, beach, all right, that was more divided than I thought it was going to be, that's good. All right, next, a nice seasonal question. Would you rather drink a pumpkin spice latte or an apple cider? All right, so pumpkin spice latte, apple cider, neither. Anybody for neither? <laughs> there you go. Double hands up for all those. All right, um, last one. Would you rather take a hot air balloon ride or go on a glass bottom boat ride? It's like the bottom of the boat where you can see through it. So, uh, hot air balloon, glass bottom boat. All right. Well, the good thing is on that last choice, we don't have to make that this morning or this, this next few months because we're going to do a little of both. Um, so as we start up the book of Ephesians today, we're going to kind of take a hot air balloon ride and kind of look at the, uh, the, the thousand foot level and look down on the book of Ephesians and kind of see the overview and what all the parts are um, and look at the first few verses that will give us kind of the themes of the entire book. And then over the next weeks, leading all the way up until December, uh, we're going to kind of take a glass bottom boat ride, which is kind of go slower, look verse by verse and kind of see um, what's going on in the in the book of Ephesians. So you don't have to pick between those. You don't have to do a would you rather on that because we're going to do both. Um, and as we come to this book, I want to I answer two questions really quick before we really dig into the book, which is one. Why should we do expository preaching, which is what we're going to do? And then we're going to say, why read the book or study the book of Ephesians? So first, why do expository preaching? If you remember, I've talked about this term expository preaching a little bit with you. But the idea of expository preaching is you take a passage of the Bible, you read it, and then you explain what that passage means. Um, that's expository preaching. The other kind of philosophy of teaching or preaching is topical preaching. So preacher would say, here's a topic. So we're going to take God's love and see what all the Bible says about it. So pull verses from each book or something like that to say, this is what God says about love or forgiveness or um, the church or something like that. Um, while topical sermons are good at times, I think the best diet, the kind of steady, healthy diet for the church is to take up books of the Bible and read through them. And the reason I think that is good is number one, it allows the Holy Spirit to set the agenda. Um, it allows the Holy Spirit to set the agenda. Rather than me um, picking a hobby horse of a topic that I prefer to talk about and one that I like, as you pick up a book of the Bible, um, there's going to be parts of the book of Ephesians that I normally wouldn't preach about. Um, we're gonna, there's a passage in this book about slavery. Um, that's not probably a topic I would pick up and discuss off the top of my head. But in this book, it's going to force us to look at what the Bible has to say about that um, and challenge us to think through that. I'll give you a hint that we shouldn't, we shouldn't have slavery. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's, it addresses that. 
Um, it allows God to have God to speak the God's points to come out. It keeps me from getting on my soapboxes and my hobby horse. And then second, it gives the whole context of the book. Much of the Bible, uh, most books of the Bible, outside of something like Proverbs and uh, maybe the Psalms, most books are written as a as as a whole. Uh, they were written at one time for one specific reason to convey one message to people. Um, and if we were to just look at Ephesians 4 or just look at Romans 8 or, or whatever that passage may be, just John 3.16, we're not going to get that author's full meaning of that passage because what they say in chapter 1 likely ties into what's going on in chapter 5 or 6. So if we take up books of the Bible, it allows us to see the whole context of that book um, that we might have a deeper understanding of it. So that's why, just a few reasons why um, I want to emphasize in our church expository preaching because it makes the Word central. It allows God and the Holy Spirit to set the agenda and allows us to really see the whole picture of the book and understand it deeply. So why study the book of Ephesians? Why Ephesians? Well, um, one reason is it gives us a deep view of salvation. It gives us a deep view of salvation. We, um, in our current church context, we've reduced salvation to a prayer that you pray um, at the end of vacation Bible school or uh, some revival meeting. Um, We reduce it to that moment and we say, hey, when did you get saved? And you'll point back to some moment in time where you prayed some some prayer. if that happened for you, that's perfectly fine. That's how that's that's the process I went through when I came to know the Lord. But if we reduce it to just that moment, we kind of leave that moment in the past. But what the book of Ephesians does is it digs deep down into what our salvation is, why God provides it in the first place, how he accomplishes that, and then what our life looks like after that. It digs deep into salvation. And it doesn't reduce it to an individual decision that somebody makes. When we talk about salvation, most of the time we talk about individual salvation. I got saved at this moment, um, which is good. But it's not just an individual decision. It's not just an individual um, activity that God has done. God saves a people. And we see in this book, God talk about how his salvation impacts not just individuals, but impacts communities and societies as a whole, and then impacts their life after that as they live in unity. So we need to see that our salvation is something that God thought of in eternity past and will have effects on us in eternity future. It has a deep view of salvation. Second, the book of Ephesians has a high view of of the church, a high view of the church. Some people make the mistake of reducing church to a building, right? We refer to this place, this location as the First Baptist Church. Uh, If you Googled that, um, it would, the first thing that comes up would probably be directions to a building, a place uh, where we're on, on a map, on a city block. And church certainly is not just a building. Uh, It's fine to refer to this place as a church, um, but a church is really not bricks and mortar and windows and, and things like that. We also are tempted to reduce church to a meeting. We say, I'm gonna, we're going to have church or go to church. And church is definitely, um, that word ecclesia in the Bible means called out or assembly. It, it's it's the, the process of calling a group of people to meet together. But it's not even just a meeting, as important as our meetings are. Uh, the church is a people that God has assembled for his glory. 
And the book of Ephesians has a high view of the church, seeing it as not just a building or a meeting, but as something that God has used and ordained and set in time and space that he might receive glory through it. And we're going to see um, within this book that God uses the church to, to boast before, um, before the heavenly beings. Like there's some eternal stuff happening when we meet together and we join together to be the church. So the book of Ephesians has a deep view of salvation and a high view of the church, and it has a wide view of the Christian life. It has a wide view of the Christian life. We might be tempted to reduce our Christian life to just what happens on Sunday mornings between 1030 and 1130. That's our Christian life. And then the rest of the time, the rest of the week, I get my, do my own thing. Um, but then I come back the next Sunday and do my Christian thing. Right? Certainly, that's not the point of Christianity. Certainly, that's not what the Christian life is all about. And then sometimes we reduce the Christian life to what we do, just what we do as individuals. Um, and we see the, the, focus of, the focus of Christianity, the focus of what God is doing uh, on us. But he's doing all kinds of things, much broader, much wider than just saving people, but renewing a world and making all things new. The book of Ephesians takes that idea of, of Christianity, of our relationship with God, and says it's not just something you do once a week or not just something you do, but it's every single part of your life. It's who you are. And then Paul, later on in the book of Ephesians, gets down into the nitty-gritty of, of our relationships that we have with other people, what our life looks like uh, compared from our past to our present as Christians. Um, and that's what he does in this book. He takes a wide view of the Christian life. So the book of Ephesians has a lot to say for us, and I think it has a lot to say for us as a church, as First Baptist Church of Commerce, because we need to have a deep, deep sense of our salvation not just a, a one-time event that we went to when we were kids or had at one moment when we prayed a prayer, but it's a deep salvation that's lasting and eternal. We need to have a high view of the church, um, not just a, 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 a place or a building, but a people that God has used to glorify himself. And has, we need to have a wide view of the Christian life, not just um, something that we do on Sunday, but something that uh, seeps into every moment of our life. So with all that being said, we're going to look at these first two verses of the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at the first two verses of the book of Ephesians and see a few of the themes that apply to, um, that come out of this book, so or throughout the whole book, so that way we can see um, what the Lord has to say for us in this moment. So if you have your Bibles, I'm assuming you're at Ephesians, but if you're not, go ahead and go to the book of Ephesians chapter one. We're going to read the first two verses and allow those to give us a launching, uh, launching pad into the whole book. So the book of Ephesians chapter one, verses one and two, it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look at that, uh, those two verses, first I want to point us to the apostle. This man that's writing this book introduces himself as Paul, an apostle. 
um, apostle. Not many of us probably walk around saying like, yo, I'm an apostle or that dude's an apostle. That's probably not a word that we say a lot unless we're reading the name of an apostolic church, right? But an apostle in general, that term in general means somebody that's sent out. Somebody who is, who is sent on a mission. So a lot of times in the Bible, this refers to a missionary. Somebody who's sent from their current context into another context. That's what a, an apostle is. But in a narrow sense, and what Paul means here, he means someone who is directly chosen by Jesus. So we look at the 12 disciples. Those guys are often called the 12 apostles. And then we have Paul, who, who also meets the Lord Jesus in the book of Acts, who's directly commissioned by Jesus. So these men, we would say, are capital A apostles. And then we have little a apostles, those who are sent out from the church. So as we think about Paul and who he is, he is kind of an odd choice, if we're honest, to be an apostle. An apostle is somebody who represents the church, has an authority to, to, to give commands to the church. He's an odd choice for that. If you think about Paul, remember who Paul was. If you've read the book of Acts, you know that he was a deeply religious guy, steeped in the ways of Judaism. Judaism was the religion of the Jews at that time that God had given to them. And he was steeped in that religion. So to call Paul as an apostle for Christianity when he was about as high up in another religion as possible might seem like an odd choice to us. He was deep in religious culture, and not only was he deep into his Jewish religion, he was also a persecutor of the Christian church. As we read through the book of Acts in the beginning, he was persecuting Christians, not just like making fun of them when he saw them, but he went out of his way. He, was, he would go to the religious leaders and say, hey, I want permission from you guys uh, to go to this and this town to search out Christians there and drag them back to bring them before you that we might prosecute them. Paul's goal was to destroy the church, not just make fun of it, not just jeer it, not just to take away their religious liberty. He wanted to take the lives of the people that were in the church because he saw himself as doing the work of God, which is honestly kind of scary if you think about it. Paul thought every decision he made was for the Lord, for God. But in all actuality, it was the opposite, which is kind of scary. But as we think about Paul, he was, a, he was an odd choice. He would not be the one that we would pick to do this job. But as we think about the Lord, he often does things that are odd to us. He often does things that don't make sense or calculate up to our ideas. But if you think about Paul from the Lord's perspective, he makes a lot of sense. Christianity, the Christian religion, is deeply tied to Judaism, right? Judaism was this set of rules and principles, this way of relating to God that God actually gave to people. But those sets of rules and those uh, regulations, Paul speaks, or the, the New Testament speaks of, those were shadows referring to the real substance. So as Paul comes out of Judaism, who better, honestly, to look back at the Jewish scriptures to be able to explain, hey, look at these shadows that were pointing to the real substance, who is Christ. So Paul, being a teacher of the law, probably was a good choice um, to take to transition from having this Jewish religion to this Christian religion. And... Think about what Paul's past would have done for his humility. A lot of people, as they read Paul and read verses about Paul, see him as kind of a proud man. Um, see him as kind of sure of his ways, 
uh, very, very confident in what he says and has some pride because he'll talk about like, uh, I don't need to listen to anybody else. I've, I, I know what I'm talking about. But really, if you dig down and read all of Paul, you're going to realize he's a very humble man who looks at his past with humility and realizes that he made a lot of mistakes and that it's only by grace that he's come to the Lord. See, he was persecuting the church, not just making fun of them, but killing them. And he reflects on his life and says, I am by far the least of the apostles. He refers to himself as one untimely born, like uh, like the, the whole litter uh, had been born. And then later on, there's one last runt that comes into the pack um, that shouldn't be there and probably shouldn't be alive. That's what he, how he refers to himself. Humble. Realizing that, hey, there is no reason that God should look into my life and say, hey, that's a good apostle. I'm going to call him. Paul realizes full well that he has nothing. He brings nothing to the table. His hands are open when he comes to the Lord. And then ironically, when he writes this letter. He writes it from prison. The one who sent Christians to prison is now a Christian in prison. Writing this letter to a group of people who need to hear from him. And if we think about how that applies to our lives and how we view other people and how we view ourselves, how many of us would probably look at our lives and think, man, I am disqualified from serving the Lord. Um, I don't have any um, spiritual gifts. I don't have any talents. I'm a horrible sinner. If you knew the things I had done in my past, there's no way that you'd want me to serve in your church. Well, a lot of times Christians have higher standards for who serves the Lord than the Lord does. Right. We have this these standards of, hey, if you've got this in your past, if you've been this type of person, you can't serve. But God resets our standards of who can serve the Lord and who can be a Christian with the, with the Apostle Paul. I mean, how how much worse can you be than killing Christians? Then God says, you know what? That's the kind of guy I want on my team. Right. And he saves Paul's soul, changes his heart. God chooses odd servants and God chooses weak servants. So if you feel this morning or anytime like you're not the right choice for Christianity or you're weak in the faith or something like that, just know that's exactly the kind of person that God wants to use. That's the position you need to be in, because Paul, who is at rock bottom, God was able to change his heart, lift him up out of the miry grave and put him, put his feet on the rock, as our call to worship says. And then Paul's life becomes an amazing testimony to what God can do. So if you feel weak, you're in a good spot. Turn to the Lord and he can do amazing things through you. And as we look at how Paul says that he's an apostle by the will of God. That's a theme in this verse. If you read our, if you heard our scripture read that Paul or that uh, Dennis read, you're going to see a lot of uh, words about God's will, God's plan, God's purpose. That's a theme throughout this book. And Paul recognizes that he is chosen according to God's will. See, the point is, Paul wasn't looking to become a Christian. Paul wasn't looking to become an apostle. He didn't sign up for this job. He didn't apply for this position. He didn't go on monster.com and submit his resume and try to select between the, the better positions that he would go with. No, Paul was literally on the road to persecute Christians. And then the Lord literally knocks him off of his horse, blinds him, takes him by surprise. 
How many of you would maybe say that's how the Lord worked in your life? As you look back on how you became a Christian, you think, now, man, looking back on it, I don't know. I don't know how I became a Christian. As I look back on my life and think of the home life that I had, um, my, my parents conveyed the fact that they loved me really well. But as far as raising me up to know the Lord, they didn't. And I look back on my life and I think, how in the world did a, a, a little scrawny kid, nine-year-old, end up walking into a church and the Lord saved I, like. If I look at my life and, and, and do the math on the early, early side of things, I would think there's no chance that I would end up uh, as a Christian. But the Lord came along in my life, and it all seemed to make sense at the time. But as I look back, I think, man, there's no reason why I should be a believer. And I think we can all look back on our lives in some sense and think, man, there's no way I deserve this. There's no way that I was I wasn't looking to become this. But the Lord came into my life and did things in my life. That I'm very thankful for. Because if he hadn't, I wouldn't be here. So Paul looks back on his life and sees how amazing it is that he would even be saved. And not only that he would be saved, but that he would be an apostle, a servant of the Lord. So as we look around and we are reaching out into this community and, and serving one another here, it'd be a big mistake for us to look for people who fit the description of a Christian, right? Fit the description, fit the mold of who we want to be part of our church or even more dangerously, who fits the mold of being a Christian. We would probably have a lot of standards that, that we shouldn't have. We shouldn't go around looking for qualities of somebody that would make a good Christian. We need to go around looking for people spreading God's word and those who respond are those who God is calling to himself. So Paul sees this theme of by the will of God and there's also this idea of grace that we're going to talk about in a second. But this idea that Paul is the perfect picture of grace. Grace is just that which we don't deserve. Getting something you don't deserve. And that's what Paul is. He's a picture of grace. So Paul writes this. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now we've seen the apostle. Now let's look at the Ephesians. Who are the Ephesians? Well, these are a group of people um, who lived in Ephesus. And Paul had spent time there. Um, Paul had, uh, had interacted with these folks, um, been a missionary to that area. And if you think about the Ephesians, we have to remember that they are Gentiles. The Ephesians are Gentiles, those people who are not part of the Jewish people. So if you think about the Old Testament, God called this group of people the Jews. They were his chosen people, and he told them, as odd as it may sound to us, do not interact with any other group. Don't interact with any other nations around you. The reason he said that was because they were followers of other gods. The Ephesians were followers of other gods. We read in Acts 19 that they worshiped the god Artemis. Um, they were followers of other gods. They, were, they would do witchcraft, sorcery is what the Bible mentions. Um, these were a group of people that the Jews would not normally associate with. But interestingly enough, God calls up this man, this persecutor of Christians, this Jewish guy, and sends him to a group of people called the Ephesians. And he witnesses and shares Christ with them. And these Ephesians, who once were far off from God, have now been brought near. How? By the blood of Jesus. So these, these Ephesians were idol worshipers. They were followers of Artemis. But when the gospel came to them, 
and they heard it for the first time. This is what the Bible says about them. If you, uh, you don't have to turn there, but you're right. Just if you're taking notes, you might mark down Acts 19, uh, the chapter 19. It tells the story of the Ephesian people. But this is what the book uh, or the, what the book of Acts chapter 19, verse 18 through 20 says about the Ephesians. It says this. Also, many of those who were not believers came confessing and divulging their practices And a number of those who practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So the Bible says that these Ephesian people had a radical conversion. They were um, says that they were practicing magical arts. I don't know the specifics of what that is, but some kind of way of producing results in the world through um, your own means, um, through your own, through some kind of spells, incantations, things like that. And it says that they came after being converted. They brought their books, their magic books, and burned them. They had a big fire and burned them. And the number, the amount of money that was burned that day was 50,000 pieces of silver. That's probably referring to a, a drachma, which is a day's wage for a, a worker in that time. If we're conservative and say somebody makes 80 bucks a day, that's $10 an hour before tax. That'd be about $4 million in today's money. That's conservatively guessing if we're, if we're making 10 bucks an hour, which anybody can make that. So these people brought all of their, all of their, their resources and said, hey, We're so radically converted from our former way of life that we just want to get rid of all these things. They gave it to the Lord. That's the kind of people that the Ephesians were. Paul witnessed to them and they were saved. And then now, years later, Paul is reaching back out to them. So we see the Apostle Paul, in the Apostle Paul, a picture of discipleship, right? He witnessed to them and he didn't just leave them, say, hey, great job, glad you uh, converted. Um, Good job getting rid of your, your, your former way of life. Have fun and left. No, years later, he's returning back to them in the form of a letter to say, hey, I just want to come back and encourage you guys. I want to reach back and help you. And that's what discipleship is about. We at this church, we need to focus on not just converting people, but seeing that those who are converted grow in the Lord, who are taking steps to become more obedient, taking steps to become more like Jesus. And these people were doing that. Not only were they... Uh, Gentiles, Paul refers to them as saints and faithful. A saint is somebody who's holy and set apart and different. And that's the, that's the description that Paul gives to these Ephesians. And I think that's the same description he gives to us as Christians. Saints, people who are set apart and holy to the Lord. And holy to the Lord. So we see the Apostle Paul, the Ephesians, and then finally this greeting that he gives, which is a greeting he gives to all uh, most of his letters. Grace and peace to you from God, from the God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Grace, as we've mentioned, is the idea of unmerited favor, receiving a gift that you could not earn on your own. And that's the idea of grace. And we see in this in this book of the Bible, um, Paul's going to make a big emphasis on grace and what grace is. Um, being unmerited favor, receiving salvation that we did not work for. And also he says to them, peace. Now, when we think of peace, we think of the opposite of war, right? We might think like, you know, our town is at peace because we don't have war here. Um, But what 
Paul, I think, means is that Old Testament idea of shalom. That's what the Jews would greet one another with as they would see each other. They say shalom, uh, which means uh, really all is well. All is well with you. There's no internal um, chaos inside of you, but you'd be at peace, at rest, um, which is what the what, which is what the Old Testament speaks a lot about being at rest. And so Paul, when he says this, he's saying grace to you and peace that you would have favor from the Lord and that you would be at peace with the Lord, not having any strife or any anxiety, but you'd be at peace. And then he says, this comes from God, the father and the son. What an interesting passage. Even right here in these few words, we see that Jesus himself is equated with God, the father, showing that Jesus was not just another man, not just an, not just a, a, a prophet of the Lord, but he was God himself in the form of man. And so as we look at this book, we're going to see throughout this book, we're going to see in the first three chapters, chapters one, two and three. We're going to see that God or that Paul speaks to the Ephesians and shows them who they are and how they were saved. And then after that, in chapters three, four and five, Paul's going to show us how we should live our life. So the first part shows God's story of saving us. And then the last part shows our story of living that out. The first part we could say is theoretical or or theological. And the last part is practical or applicational. So one through three tells us the deep story of salvation. Four, five, six tells us what our life should look like after that. So the application I want to make to you, the challenge I want to make to you today is between now and next Sunday, I want to encourage you to read the book of Ephesians. Just read it. It's only six chapters. You can do one chapter a day and take a day off between now and then, and you will have read that book. So I challenge you, read the book of Ephesians all the way through before next Sunday. Um, you can read it all in one setting. I'm guessing it would probably take you about 30 minutes to read all of it. Um, maybe shorter if you read fast. But if you're like me, it might take you an hour. But I challenge you to read through the book of Ephesians as a whole um, so that way you might see the, the grand picture of it. Um, and then when we come back next week, we'll pick up uh, in chapter one and we'll start looking verse by verse at this book of the Bible to see what this book has to say to us about how it has gives us the, the picture of God making everything new. And that includes you as an individual, that God's making you new as well. So let's go to the Lord and pray. And then after this, we're going to sing uh, that old chorus, Amazing Grace, because of how much this book emphasizes grace. Let's pray.